in our rationale, again, uh, middle school going through puberty, not so um, wise, in our rationale, uh, we thought, well, we're thirsty. Most normal people would um, go to the kitchen, uh, open the refrigerator, see what's in there, maybe use uh, the faucet to get some water. Uh, we, on the other hand, um, living close to Walmart, thought to ourselves, listen, there's a soda machine down at Walmart. Uh, it's only about a block and a half away. Why don't we just go ahead, sneak out of this side window, journey down to Walmart, grab some soda, and uh, then we'll be uh, back on our way home. Uh, so again, like as we're processing this plan quickly in our mind, uh, everything seemed quite brilliant, actually. Um, two in the morning, you guys know, you get a little bit of a craving for soda. And uh, everything was working quite awesome to plan. We uh, had dressed warmly for the cold evening together. Uh, we uh, successfully got out of the window. Everything uh, was rolling well, went down to Walmart, had precise change. Uh, it was like such a moment of satisfaction. I was a very straight and narrow kid, so this was kind of pressing the envelope for me. Um, and then uh, we get back to the home. It's about three. Oh, that's right. It's taken us a while. Of course, we meandered the neighborhood. Just kind of fun and freeing, like being out that late at night. Wrecked some havoc. And um, uh, we, uh, we were making our entry back in the, uh, back in the, the window, the downstairs window. Now, uh, my home... My parents' uh, room was right above my room, and my room was right underneath it, uh, hence the, you guys get it. And uh, when I was making my, my re-entry uh, first, I, uh, darn shame, slipped on the windowsill and um, uh, made a very loud crashing noise um, on the floor. Uh, a lamp fell over, and there was a lot of commotion around it. And for those of you guys that have ever snuck in out before and, like, you know, tripped on glass or something happened, there was that moment where everyone just stops right? Like you're, you're waiting to see what's going to happen. And so there was like three or four seconds of complete silence. And then I heard it, the creak of the floor from upstairs. You know what I'm saying? And uh, keep in mind, we're like wearing snowsuits at this point. Okay. So, um, and so my buddy, like we hear one of my parents or if not both uh, get up and the, the, they begin to make their, their journey downstairs. So very quickly, my buddy uh, comes in the window I don't have time to close the blinds. I get enough gumption to shut the window. We both hop in my waterbed, full snowsuit, <laughs> uh, pull the covers up, and then you guys know what happens next. You, you, you pull out all your classic sleeping noises, right? Um, so my buddy uh, Im is imitating like an 88-year-old snoring, right? And I'm barking like a dog in the rare case that someone might make that noise, right? Uh, not quite that, but so my parents come in, and uh, they, they look over at the window, of course, and see that this uh, window has been open and uh, and then they look at us and the covers are out another foot or so because of our snowsuits and um, and so they turn on the light and uh, we're completely busted at this point and uh, I remember later in life uh, many years later looking back on the story and thinking about as a young teenager a young person how like initially this plan seemed brilliant you know we're thirsty let's go to Walmart we'll sneak out and all is well uh, I'd never dreamed of the repercussions. I'd never thought that I would trip on the way back in. Like in the concocted plan in my mind, everything worked out perfect. Well, what ended up happening is this broke my parents' trust of me uh, for a couple months. They uh, guarded me very protectively, like some of the trust I was earning now all of a sudden was pulled back. It was, it was as if uh, the thing that I thought in my mind that I was somewhat wise was proven incorrectly. Uh, the old cliche goes that hindsight is always twenty twenty. Like, if I would have been really wise, I wouldn't have snuck out. But if I wouldn't have got caught, 
would that have changed what I have done? See what I'm saying? If I could get to the point where I knew I wasn't going to get caught, well, I'd still go to Walmart. Uh, that's what many of you have happened often, uh, not in silly situations like this, but in much more serious or something that seems incredibly wise, the plan uh, seems like it will work out to a T, all the I's will be crossed, and um, the plan will work out perfectly, and then the result isn't quite as such. You thought you were wise, and then all of a sudden you were proven incorrect. Uh, tonight, uh, through the scripture, we start a very intriguing, as the staff was calling it, discussion on wisdom, which honestly, my heart is really drawn in to this discussion tonight, because I personally believe that wisdom is one of our greatest lusts. We all want it. We desire it, at least most of us, most of the time. But where we're looking for it or how we're going about finding it, that's the part that gets a little sketchy. So I want to invite you guys to open your Bibles. And I do want to invite you to open your Bibles. The scripture won't be on the screen tonight. So there's plenty of Bibles around. Uh, I'd rather you hold a Bible than a phone. But if the phone's all you got... Um, please don't use the uh, NIF, the New International Facebook version of the scripture. Um, so let's turn to James last week. A very a tough passage on taming the tongue. Talked a lot about how divisive the tongue can be that out of one side of our mouth we use it for the praises of the Lord Jesus and on the other side we're um, cursing. Uh, tonight, it's not a different journey, actually. It's a continued journey in divisiveness and cohesiveness among uh, this church that James is writing to in Jerusalem. So uh, James chapter 3, verse uh, 13. What's the page number in our Bible there so we can... 870 is the page number. So uh, please turn there with me. You guys are there. Say I'm there. You guys there? Yes, All right, wonderful. Thank you. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and what's the last word there? A demonic, interesting. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every, uh, the scripture says, vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and last sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Um, huge journey tonight. Got a lot to say uh, on this issue. And let's begin with James, uh, by our count, 13th question at the beginning of verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? He's asked these 13 questions beginning in chapter 2. So he's been question happy, if you will. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let's take a moment and not make that rhetorical from James to the church in Jerusalem, but let's ask it ourselves. Who is wise and understanding among you? Um, culturally, if I were to come up to you and ask you, who do you think is wise culturally? Top five. Who would you put there? I'm, I'm not asking to throw out names, right? But who would you put on your top five list? Like, where would you Google Doc that? Like, what names would... Um, would find themselves on that list. How about amongst your family? Who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, and maybe, you know, our families are a little bit smaller than culture, so just the top one, right? Like, who is wise and understanding? Which family member? Maybe a mom or a dad, um, a, a grandparent, uh, hopefully not a three-year-old. That's a troubled family, right? But um, who is wise and understanding among you? How about in our church community, in our church context? 
the question, who is wise and understanding among you, uh, what, what would you say? Who would be the, the top five, right? Some of you are texting those people around, like, you're on my list, you know, like, I promise. Can we talk later? I need some help, right? Like, um, when you start to think deeper about why you would answer that question in those ways, it really reveals what you think about wisdom, doesn't it? What do you really believe about wisdom? Where do you think it comes from? Who do you think has it? It's really answered in those questions. Uh, some of you said, like, the main actor from Twilight, like, he's culturally really wise, you know, like, that reveals something about you, okay? Um, maybe people like Billy Graham made your list. Uh, maybe a grandparent. Uh, maybe someone who has some OMP in this church made your list. OMP stands for old man power, right? Like, uh, maybe one of those folks made your list. Um, what I think it reveals is that I, I'm not quite sure we have a good biblical understanding of what wisdom is. Agree? So if James is going to be talking about wisdom, I feel like it's best that we look to the scripture and at least understand from four different passages what the Bible means when it's talking about wisdom. Is that cool with you guys? You don't have a choice. Let's begin in Proverbs. Because, because Proverbs is like the book, right, that many of you guys in your reading plans read one proverb a day, you know, and because it's kind of known as the, the source of wisdom. So let's start there. Here's what Proverbs 2 says. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. I think that's a great place to start. Wisdom comes from the Lord, right? It's a great place to begin this conversation. Uh, so it's one thing to come from Proverbs. I also think that the psalmist uh, certainly writes a lot about wisdom. It would be good to hear his perspective. So in Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it doesn't just come from the mouth of the Lord. It actually begins with fearing the Lord, with awing him, with sitting back and seeing how powerful and great uh, and awesome he is. Uh, all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So in the Old Testament, apparently, wisdom was understood as something that comes from God and that begins with fearing who God is, that God is the source of all good wisdom. I make that delineation uh, purposefully. Crazy passage. Jesus comes on the scene, and in Mark 6, check this out, wisdom doesn't stop. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Comes from the mouth of the Lord, begins with the fear of the Lord, and here Jesus comes on the scene, is healing and teaching, and people recognize that the Christ has wisdom. That there's something about his character, the way that he talked, the way that he healed, the presence that he held in the synagogue, the authority uh, of which he spoke, that, that created in people's hearts like, this is wisdom if I've ever seen it before. So Old Testament Proverbs and Psalms and the character of Jesus. But how about Paul as well? If he talked about wisdom, I would think that that would be of interest to us. He does, thankfully, in Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. It comes from the Lord's mouth. It begins with fearing him. People recognized it in the person of Christ. And what Paul says is like, it's so great you cannot even begin to understand it using a great adjective inscrutable, which none of us here know what that means, right? So biblically, this was his understanding. Now, James says, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he ends verse 13 with this. Look in your word. By his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
So what James says is there's a connection between one's words and one's life, which is exactly what we've been studying in James. Faith without works is dead. When one claims to have faith in Christ, that faith will be evidenced by his works, by his fruit, as we've been discussing, produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And so what James is like, look, meekness in works producing fruit, that's what wisdom is. Which is why we know now wisdom is defined by God, that God is the essence of wisdom. Why? His actions and his word are never disjointed. He does what he says, always. His promises always come true. When God says it will happen, it will happen. Are we together? That's why the, the essence of wisdom has to begin with the mouth of the Lord. That's why Christ beckoned people to say that must be wisdom because his words and his action were always in unison, right? It's his great portrayal that James is pointing to again at the end. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. God is the standard. Uh, but what I recognize in our culture is there are many voices. Um, let me say it this way. Uh, have you guys ever been on a, a diet before? You guys ever been on a diet? Right? Some of you are like, I'm not sure if I should admit that. Look, um, all of us at least, well, you're on a diet, it's just what you, which kind, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe you're on the pizza diet, right? Like, I've certainly been on that before, still on it actually. Uh, but, you know, the Atkins diet, the, you know, Miami Beach, South Beach, whatever that thing's called, the West Coast, you know, eat whatever, you know, like there's all these kinds of diets. And it's so interesting how quickly, uh, culturally, we latch on to the next thing. We haven't done the research. We heard that someone lost 30 pounds and we saw an infomercial and it instantly drew our heart in. Like, that must be legit. Here's my credit card number. Please send me the video, right? We don't know the source. We don't know the damage it's done to our body. But culturally, it seems that there's some wisdom in this. I mean, clearly, if there's action or at least some product, then it must be good. Product does not make wisdom good. In fact, what we're going to see tonight is often proves that wisdom is bad. But we bounce from one diet to the other. Whatever seems like the flavor of the week that will help us the most, that will get us somewhere the fastest, that's where our heart is drawn to the most. And so for those of you guys that have ever bounced around in the diet, I think it proves our lust of wisdom. Because we think in our mind, well, that person did that. There must be some wisdom in that. And it begins to tickle our heart a little bit. We lust after it. We long for it. We long to have this kind of knowledge that almost seems secluded for the people that are clued into the secret. You guys see what I'm saying? It's the same reason why James last week attacked taming the tongue. He's like, there's power when you feel like you know secrets. It's not good power. It's used uh, to the demise of you and others. This lust is why this conversation of wisdom is so critical and why he adds powerfully here in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. These two things are the godly wisdom killers. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. And I, I know many of you are like, well, well, well why? Um, I think that we think that we don't struggle with selfish ambition quite as much as we do. Let's talk about that for a moment, shall we? Uh, in fact, let's just use this evening as an example. Where you parked tonight, okay? Um, just curious, does that reveal any selfish ambition in you, right? 
was your parking choice and the amount of distance that you would have to walk here and who would be situated. And, and granted, I know that some of you would, would say, like, I was serving my wife by parking uh, uh, five feet, you know, from the brick wall out here. And fair enough, you know, you could have let her off and then go pick up the car later. Anyway, like, not all those things are, are selfish ambition, but the motive of the heart. How about where you sat tonight? This place is near the vent, or this place is most comfortable for me, or this place, right, will, like, get me around these kinds of people. Does that reveal any selfish ambition? How about who you talk to? That's the big one. Do you only talk to people that you knew tonight, only people that give you some relational advantage, only people that make you feel comfortable, only people that are all about you? We're a decently selfish people, aren't we? A pretty at times, maybe not tonight, but at least in general, consumed with ourself. Um, that's the way we were in the world we were born into, sinful, apart from Christ, in need of Christ, and very prideful, very uh, self-centered. And uh, what James says, and I love the way he puts this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. These are killers of godly wisdom. Crazy. Selfish ambitions here uh, literally means Factions, separation. Well, remember what we talked about last week? Taming the tongue. What does it do? It separates. When you gossip, when you judge, when you defame, when you talk about others when they're not there in the negative sense, it creates factions and separations in the church. Why is bitter uh, jealousy and selfish ambition uh, godly wisdom killers? Because anytime you're seeking, listen, anytime you're seeking wisdom, that is fueling your own agenda. It's fueling wisdom that is shrouded by your pride. Are we together? So in other words, you cling quickly to wisdom that fuels your selfish ambition. And you call it wise. And so when you seek wisdom from others, often what you're really wanting is for people to validate stupid decisions that you've made. And so you go to the people that you know will give you the answers because they're, they're too um, cowardice to challenge you. And so they just give you the nod and say, you know what, that's a great decision. When really what's at stake is a major life crossroad. But they made you feel good. They fueled your selfish ambition. And you and I called it wisdom. Uh, you know why these things are killers? Can I show you a text that is huge in my heart tonight? And I pray you'll see this. This is on... Uh, the screen. 2 Corinthians 5. Listen, please, if you don't see anything else, please see this tonight. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Uh, I was reading this for my lot family this past Sunday, and the question I asked is, like, the Bible's either true or not. In Christ, you're either a new creation or not. We here believe that the Bible's inerrant and true, all of it, every word. And so I stand here believing that when I'm in Christ and when you are Christ, the old has gone away. In Romans it says our sins have been crucified on the cross of Christ. Like we are a new creation showing ourselves by the fruit that's being produced by the Spirit. Are we together? Then it says this. Look at this in the scripture. It says, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And please see this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is Bringing stuff that's been torn apart or that is separated and bringing it back together. And what does this say? You, as a follower of Christ, have the ministry of reconciliation. 
That every piece of your life is about showing the unity that people can have with God. And so can I ask you the question I asked my Lot family? We were talking about taming the tongue, and I said, listen, if we had a recorder of all the words that you have said in the last seven days, in your tone, said by your voice, and we sent it to a tribe in Africa that had never heard the gospel before, and someone was interpreting, when they pressed play, would they hear reconciliation? Would they hear the gospel? Would they hear joy and grace and peace? Or would they wonder who this person is? One person, they seem pretty joy, or one second, they seem pretty joyous, and the next second, it seems like they're angry at the world. They would hear words that they've never heard in their language before, and the interpreter would even have struggle interpreting it because they were so heinous. What would be heard? We are ministers, ambassadors, the scripture goes on to say, of reconciliation. That's why selfish ambition and bitter, uh, bitter, bitter jealousy are killers of godly wisdom because it's focused on us. And when it's focused on us, it will create faction. Because what God is about is unity and togetherness with himself and then showing the church together. Pretty crazy beautiful, isn't it? Um, so I want to get vulnerable if you guys don't mind. Again, you don't have a choice. So you're like, no, don't get vulnerable. <laughs> like, please stop now. Um, I've been struggling a bit in my heart, and I've shared with a few of you guys who have asked. Um, like, this building thing, we're really excited about. It's great. Obviously, you know, with people seeing against the walls tonight, it continues to show that we need uh, something a bit bigger. But because of what I've always said, like, I don't know that we'll ever have to own a building, you know, all these things. And I've always said it's just brick and mortar, and I believe that so much with my heart. Um, and the staff guys know this. Like, what's, what's, what's happened is, is like, we, we have to get the project done. And as I was standing there, even today, I'm like, God, thank you for this, but I know it's just brick and mortar. I know it's nothing, because the church can meet in a tent or wherever. But I know at the same time, like, we need to be diligent of the thing that God has graced us with. And the project has to be done. The struggle in my heart has been, but I, all I want to do is be around people every day. Like, I, I don't want to stand in a building and worry about, like, where drywall is going. Like, I care less, you know. But at the same time, I know it's important. So I was confessing this to a few pastors, uh, of pastor friends of mine last week. I was just saying, I, I'm struggling. I don't want us to lose focus about the city. And, and, and I don't want us to get... A loose focus on people, even for two months' time where this project has to get done. And they looked at me, all three of them, independently and said, Mark, you have to understand, uh, this building, brick and mortar, yes, but God's going to use it as a tool of reconciliation in your city, and so you need to work hard and get the job done. He said in that same heart that's struggling about people, you know what? Yes, it will be a sacrifice for a couple months, but, but guess what? There will be hurting and lost people that will have the chance to hear the gospel because of what God's blessed. So you need to sit back, humble yourself, heed some wisdom from the scripture, and get the job done. And actually what I realized in that moment is my pride was found in service. You see what I'm saying? And that's where often it's clouded, isn't it? It seems good. My heart seemed good, like I love people, I love shepherding. I'm not a pastor that just enjoys standing up here and preaching. This whole thing is about people. Are we together? Exalting Christ and loving people, like that's what's on my heart. But even that, what these brothers showed me, had become an idol above the grace that God was saying, get the job done. I'm saying this is a dicey line. Selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, and it's a killer because it creates factions and it separates 
most importantly, even for an hour at a time, seemingly you and the Lord, right? Powerful truths that James is calling us to repent of. He says in verse 15, and this gets pretty tricky here. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, uh, but is earthly, unspiritual, and uh, demonic. Uh, Do you notice what he says there at the beginning of verse 15? This is not the what? What does he say? The wisdom. You guys see what that means? That means godly wisdom isn't the only wisdom. That means actually the scripture is talking about this other kind of wisdom. There's good godly wisdom, but then there's another kind. Have you ever been to a, a Borders bookstore or a, a bookstore or at least like clicked Amazon.com? Have you ever seen books before? Have you guys? <laughs> you, you, go, you go in the bookstore um, and you, you go to a certain section. Uh, let's call that section Relationships. Okay, and you stand in front of it, and right in front of you, you literally have hundreds of books. If you're on Amazon looking, thousands, and you can pick one up, and it can have a really cute cover, like a drawing color. It even could have a a good author in your opinion, and you could pick up that book, and you could begin reading it. And it could tell you all this stuff about relationships and dating, and then you could pick up the book right next to it, and it could tell you the exact opposite. And so the question is always like, okay, that, that's, that seems like an unlikely scenario. Oh, no, it's not. And have you ever gone to a friend and sought wisdom, and then another friend who is just as close to you as the other person, in fact, they all know each other, gave you the exact opposite wisdom? Right? Has that ever happened to you before? Like causing a complete conundrum in you? You're like, well, this friend I thought loved me. They told me to, you know, do this. And this friend. What it's saying is we need to consider the source. You, you guys agree? It's the source that matters. It's the source that matters. Okay? You can pick up any book. You can listen to any voice. You have. I have. It's not the, it's not the words that are carrying the weight. It's the source that's carrying the weight. Even culturally, there are certain voices that begin to rise to the top because people respect those voices. What a shame is it when Christians begin to immerse themselves so much in the culture that all of a sudden the voice of the scripture and the voices that are coming from the culture begin to get blurred. And because of our lack of of knowledge of the word and hunkering down in God's truth, we all of a sudden can't tell the difference anymore. We don't know what's cultural, what's earthly and unspiritual and demonic versus what is biblical. We're not reading it. The, the word isn't soaking our heart. And so we're constantly having to ask ourselves. But we're, that, that's the problem. We're asking ourselves. We're too lazy to seek it out. Too lazy to open the book for a second. We're just saying, well, I, that sounds biblical. I think in Ezekiel 89 that the scripture said that. Hold on a second. I'm not sure there's a ne- that many chapters in Ezekiel, you know, like Great Commission in Matthew 30. No, it's Matthew 28, you know. Right? So I want to break down these three words, okay? 
Look in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. This is, this is huge, huge, huge on my heart. Um, wisdom that is earthly is bound by the earth. You're like, good one. Like you thought long and hard about that, right? No, I did. Seriously. Like, it's very limited. We together? Wisdom that is earthly is extremely limited. It is often rational. Have you read your Bible recently? Have you seen profound moments in the scripture that weren't so rational? Hey, Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. I need you to build a big, huge boat. Go gather the animals. We're going to figure this thing out. I'm going to take care of this. To the earthly wisdom, that didn't seem like quite a rational situation. Are we in agreement, right? And that's the beginning. You begin to read the Bible more and more and more, and you begin to see how limited earthly wisdom is. How many times people are questioning God because they're like, I, don't, I can't understand that. And God's like, exactly the point. You can't understand that. That's why I'm God and you're not. Watch how I shape your rationale, how I expound your mind on how powerful and huge I am by taking you through a situation. Some of you have experienced that firsthand. He did seek the Lord's wisdom. He did something irrational to the world and our earth. And again, proved himself as real. Not that he needed to prove anything. Now, the second thing uh, that he says is this kind of wisdom is uh, unspiritual. Uh, this is a reiteration of something else, and I want to show you. Proverbs uh, 28 says this. Uh, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Um, but he who walks in, in wisdom will be delivered. Uh, something that's unspiritual is unspiritual because it's focused on self. See, what the Spirit does in us is it focuses on the Lord. Are we together? That's what the Spirit does. It's turning our attention constantly to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Focus on the Lord. What self does is look in the mirror, focus on self. Focus on self. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. That's unspiritual. Focused on self. Not focused on exalting the Lord. And the last word, what's it? Demonic. Uh, I bring this up all the time. This is one of my favorite examples. Jesus said he was going to have to suffer. And Peter says, no, may it not be so. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Which tells you what? Uh, sometimes the people that appear that they would have great wisdom are actually giving wisdom that could be considered demonic. Peter uh, went on to be a pretty significant figure in the church. Uh, was martyred for his faith. We see him around Pentecost. Which causes me, listen, to pull back for a second and to say my only trustworthy source is God himself. God has blessed me with his word. God has given us his word. He has given us his spirit. And that, when we're considering the source, is the only thing that can be trusted. You know, here we celebrate seasoned people. Okay? How many of you guys consider yourself seasoned here? Come on. Let's get a shout out for the 40 plus. Any 40 pluses here tonight? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of you unsure. You're checking with your wife. Am I? I'm not sure. Yeah, you're 58. Like, you turned 40 a long time ago. We love seasoned people here. Here's why. 
we believe deeply in discipleship. Well, what's discipleship? It's come follow me as together we follow Jesus, that we're sitting under the authority of men and women, which is a very biblical, God-honoring thing if that discipler is pointing to the Lord. Uh, what discipleship is, and Jared, our discipleship director, would completely affirm this, is the disciple is just pointing, uh, the discipler is just pointing the disciple to the Lord all the time. He's saying, come follow me. Yes, like, look at my life, my, my, my life and my marriage. Watch me struggle and fail and repent. Celebrate joy. Watch me serve all those things. But what you're going to see consistently is I'm rooted in God's scripture, and I'm constantly exalting the Lord. Anytime a discipler is focused on himself, my friends, we are in error. Because someone who focuses on his own mind is a fool. You guys see what I'm saying? And this line gets really, really tricky. We need the wisdom of others, but that wisdom needs to be focused on the Lord Jesus, period. Like, that's what I'm saying. Consider the source. That's what James is reiterating. I love what he says here in verse 16. And man, I'm messed up about this verse. Absolutely messed up. Please forgive me. This could get dicey. Um, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. I gotta set the Bible down for this one. Um, there will be disorder in every vile practice. How many of you right now feel like your life is in disorder? Is in chaos? Better image. How many of you feel like you're stationary, but like the world is just spinning around you? And I would say, and add, out of control. That all your relationships seem to be crumbling, or this section of your life seems to be falling apart. It's got your heart so burdened, you're losing sleep at night, you feel like it's all disorder. The reason why, listen, the reason why human wisdom, earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, demonic wisdom leads to disorder, because there is no consistency. If you talk to one person and you talk to another, you'll get different stories. And so when you listen to those voices and you seek that wisdom, guess what that creates? Disorder, because there's no consistency. Or, when you find yourself in circumstances that are tough to deal with, which we all have been a part of, if not aren't now. And we're seeking answers about why we're there. Have you ever been there, right? Why am I here right now? Like, how did this happen? And then you go to any other source but the Lord... It will put disorder upon disorder. You sought out those sources, feeling chaotic, and all of a sudden your life feels more chaotic by what those voices said. This voice said this, this voice said another, that book said to do this, this person said that, that pastor said to do this. And so you sit there underneath the weight of all of that, and you're like, how can I ever find order? Can I tell you this? Listen. If you've read the Bible ever, it feels like it's disordered. (laughs) You're like, how does all of this work together? But when you see the powerful story of God unfold, that sin enters the world and builds our need for a Savior, and then God sends His Son Jesus and dies on a bloody cross like Jared read about, and He walks out of an empty tomb, and the Spirit comes down on the church, and the church explodes, and it feels so chaotic at times. I sit back and I say, there is never disorder under the sovereign hand of God. Like, He is doing His work, and there is such strength 
in who God is and such consistency because he never goes against his word. When you seek his word as the source of wisdom, it will never create disorder. And what it will do is take your circumstances that feel like they're spinning out of control and it will give them semblance and a hope and life. Because we'll all come back to the things of the Lord. There is no disorder with the Lord. We, in our sin, have given the appearance that his sovereign hand isn't at work. I sit back and I thank God for the order that can come from his scripture. But can I just ask you then, why aren't we going there? Listen, please. Why are we still searching for truth where there is no truth? Because it's convenient. Because it's accessible. This feels pretty accessible to me. Anyone else? So in his image, he uh, creates a little bit of a dichotomy here in verse 17. But the wisdom from above, so now all of a sudden we have the other side. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I'll put up my equation here if you could, Jeff. Um. Here's what James is saying before we look at these traits. He's saying there is a root of wisdom, a source. Then we are all living out of that source. We live that wisdom. We get it from the scripture on a particular issue. Okay? Should I do X, Y, Z? We search the scripture. We follow the scripture. And that time in between is wisdom lived. We live in that wisdom. And then what it produces is a result. Okay? So what he said on one side of the coin is the result of earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom is every vile practice and disorder. That's the result. But the result of good, godly, scripturally sound, spirit-empowered wisdom are these things. Next slide. Pure, that sure sounds nice. When will be the day um, when rightfully so we seek the wisdom at times of our brothers and sisters who are uh, older and more seasoned and they give us a word and then we turn to confirm that word with God's word. There's many men in this uh, room here that I respect deeply love their hearts. I had lunch with one of those men today. Every word he says, I, I feel the weight of it. I love him so much. As great as he is, he's still a man. And every word of truth and every word of wisdom that he gives, I believe should be and could be and can be confirmed by the scripture. That's pure. See what I'm saying? Like there's no extra. It's the truth of the word of the Lord. It's a peaceable. It's reconciling. God's wisdom will always bring about reconciliation. You're like, well, but Jesus said, uh, but it will divide. Oh, it will divide on the issue of the gospel. But that issue is between Jesus and everyone who responds to him, not between us. Right? 
He said, well, they hated me, they'll hate you too. But yeah, that's a response to the gospel. It's peace, it's reconciling. It's gentle. Let's hang here for a moment, shall we? Have you ever given or taken wisdom before that wasn't so gentle? Felt more like a belt across the face, right? Like it started out gentle, and then as like things got a little bit fiery, the more and more that I grow in my faith, the more and more I realize that when I challenge folks about the scripture, um, it's crazy. Like remaining calm and gentle and conveying grace and mercy actually seems to produce more godly things. It's crazy. In my earlier years, when I would get a little bit more fired up or even a little bit more in people's face, a little less gracious, it was interesting how many people walked away. But the same truth spoken in a different tone with a different motive of the heart comes off completely different. The result's different. Uh, it's open to reason, which is really interesting, isn't it? Because you're like, whoa, whoa, reason, that sounds like Socrates-ish. Um, here's what open to reason means. It means that as the Spirit's molding and working in people's hearts, he'll take people's minds and hearts and open their minds to what's happening, what God's doing. And takes like the, ration, the rational and pretty soon expounds it beyond what people thought possible. It's full of mercy. Not getting what we do deserve. See what I'm saying? Wisdom that comes from the Lord, good godly wisdom, produces something that's full of mercy. I know you deserve this, but I'm going to be merciful right now because that's good godly wisdom. Uh, anything else is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It produces good fruits. It's impartial. And listen, please see this. It's sincere. No selfish ambition. No bitter jealousy. Listen, no church people giving other church people wisdom because they want to prove a point about how great they are or knowledgeable they are or all the things that they've done. How much wisdom starts out, well, well Listen, you need to hear my story. Like, here's all the awesome things that have happened in my life. Right? When I look at this list, it's a little bit condemning. Because I look in this room and I'm like, how are we going to accomplish this? Which is the exact point of James. The source has to be the Lord. And when you get it from a human and when another man or brother or pastor or someone speaks truth in your life or wisdom, it always has to come back to the word of God. And if it does, it will never create disorder or chaos. It may feel like it, but that's when your definition needs to change and you need to kill selfish ambition. Because you still think, after seeking the wisdom of the Lord, that he thrust you into chaos. Oh no, you're mistaken. That's his beautiful will so that you can see his character more. It's just shifting your mind to see it like that. God, why did you put me here? You think the disciples were thinking that as they were about to be beheaded? Lord, why the disorder? No, instead, what does Stephen say before he gets stoned? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Wisdom that was full of mercy. And peaceable and still reconciling. God bring forgiveness on them. He knew it because he was still breathing the wisdom of the Lord. And what the world would say was disorder was actually peace. Because as Stephen began to take the stones in his heart, what he was thinking is, I'm about ready to see my maker. And that's a whole lot better than where I'm at now. 
And so that's why James ends here in verse 18. Uh, And a harvest of righteousness for those folks is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what he does is he he ends by saying, which which harvest do you want? I was thinking about this earlier today that uh, the farmers in our current situation don't seem like they have much much of a choice right now. It's getting a little bit tough. I said uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm not a great farmer. Heidi's dad's a farmer. I know the, the drought, and we're getting ready to turn into Arizona here in a second, right? It feels already like that in here tonight, actually. Um, like the crop is going to be tough. And what I love about, um, even like when I was talking to Heidi, she's like, man, it's just going to be a tough year for my dad. The harvest is just isn't going to be what it. All I could think about was praise God. That I'm promised the harvest. Praise God. That I don't have to wait on the seasons to change that the Lord's won the victory. That there's a harvest that's out there that's waiting. He said, pray that there will be labors for the harvest. That the harvest of wisdom is right here. It's in my heart through the Spirit. Like these things are working together. The harvest is now. And the distraught heart that my father-in-law has to go through. Like, God, please make it rain. I get to pray that exact same prayer. And I get to open the scripture and watch his faithfulness provide my food. Always. Never returns void. This never dries up like we were saying last week. It never stops. And so all of this wisdom is really summed up mostly in the cross. Who, in their right human mind, in their earthly, unspiritual, rational, demonic mind, would say, hey, here's a great idea. I'm going to send my son to the earth. He's going to be perfect, and then what's going to happen is, this will sound strange, I know, but he's going to be executed. He's going to be whipped and smacked and a crown of thorns put on his head, and he's going to be the king. Who would write something like that? It's beyond earth. It's beyond our rationale. It doesn't make human rationale. That's why the wisdom of the Lord is so good. To the earth in any human mind. They wouldn't say, hey, yeah, put your king on a cross. Execute him and then see what happens. And our God put his son on the cross. And then that same son walked out of the tomb. That's why wisdom from the Lord must be our source. Period. It makes no human sense. And yet brings every order that we can experience. And will experience in the end. And even can take in here and now as the spirit changes our hearts. So, one more moment of vulnerability, if you don't mind. Again, no choice, sorry. Um, I find my heart uh, wanting to be a minister of reconciliation. Wanting to communicate peace and that all of you and myself can have forgiveness to God through Jesus. And then I find often my pride riling up so quickly 
And though I'm called an ambassador and a minister of rec- the reconciliation, sometimes I just don't feel like it. And maybe you're there too. Maybe you're like, my life feels chaotic and disordered, and I've been looking for wisdom in all the wrong places, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of feeling like my life's spinning out of control. I'm tired of reading every self-help book and still pulling up empty. I'm tired of talking to everyone and never confirming with the scripture. For those of you like me that are just tired of it tonight, it's one more affirmation that we have to be in his word. And I listen, I grew up being pounded in my mind. You have to read the Bible. And it became so dutiful in my mind. And over the last year, it feels like in every message, my heart keeps being brought back to the freedom that comes in reading the scripture. And his character just keeps coming out. And I'm not doing it because God sees me as a great holy child who's reading his reading Bible plan well. That I'm checking off day 31. Instead, it's fueling my need for him more. And so I pull back from all this, and I just, and I told the guys this backstage, I'm like, look, if you have the audacity to think you can fall away from the scripture and then walk on the stage, please repent now. We can't be prayerless and wordless preachers or worship leaders, and I say to you, we can't be wordless ambassadors. It can't be so. You can't expect to be a minister of reconciliation and peace and unity of the gospel and never read his word out of freedom. You can't expect it. It can't happen. The Lord is merciful and is using his truth. And so I pray that it would breathe life in us again. Let's stand together. I just want to pray over us. And uh, I'm just praying that um, that tonight, when you go home with no one looking, no one to call you righteous, that you'll open your word, and that you'll let the grace and the mercy of the Lord minister to you and remind you of the power of his healing so that's what I want to pray for us tonight God uh, I thank you that uh, wisdom that comes from you is good I pray God that my search ends I pray God that my brothers and sisters stop looking elsewhere pray, God, that your word tonight, tomorrow morning, that we'll be reminded that your mercies are new. God, I thank you that you're everything that we need, that you're our daily bread, and that we need nothing else. God, thank you that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of you. Help us awe you tonight, Lord.